I'm so happy that you guys are joining us here this second week of a brand new year. Just want to welcome and say a big hello to all of you, especially to those who are watching me for the very first time. Some of you are watching me on your cell phone or on a YouTube channel across the country or across the world. A super shout out also to those of you watching from my San Jose campus, uh, the first and second time guests. I just want to say a word of welcome to you guys as well. Uh, I'm just delighted that you're starting this new series with me. I hope you'll commit to walking with us over the course of the next several weeks. This new series, which I'm calling Made for This. Made for what? Another way of asking the question, why am I on the planet? Why did God create me? We want to walk through this together and see whether or not God can be transformational in our lives uh, as we look at this first series uh, in a brand new year. Now, last week I I taught a message from uh, the book of Judges about Gideon called Believe. If you missed that message, I want to encourage you definitely, whatever you do, go check that message out. Everybody ought to hear that message. Uh, It was a blessing even to me as we kicked off a brand new year. Now, I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. Last week, we talked about belief. Uh, I want to, want to move forward uh, from there with this new series. All right, Judges chapter 6, beginning of verse 25 through 27. Let's hear what the writer has to say. That same night, the Lord said to him, Gideon, that is, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of the height, the top of the hill, that is, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And there ends the reading. If you were with us on uh, last week, you know that I spent a little time talking about the context of Gideon. Gideon and his people, the Israelites, were, uh, found themselves hiding in mountains, in, in mountain ridges and dens and caves, because for seven years in a row, seven years, uh, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other people groups of that region were swarmed down like locusts, the scripture says, and just out of nowhere would come and kill lives, destroy crops, destroy livestock. Just when they thought life was going back to normal, this thing would happen again and again. Leaving Gideon and his people impoverished, feeling powerless, oppressed, full of anger, not knowing what tomorrow would bring, living in dread and anxiety and worry, not unlike many of us as we live through this world in this time and in this season. And so the passage opens up about Gideon. He's, he's, he's hiding in a wine press, thrusting uh, the wheat. And I can imagine on a hot Judean day, there he is down there hiding and thrusting, doing this hard work, sweating. And I suspect that the question that rose up in his spirit is a question that will rise up and has risen up in many of us on occasion. Is this all there is? Am I made Perhaps, is it possible that I might be made for something more than to be hiding and thrusting weak, living my life in fear and living my life in worry? 
And it's in that moment, verse uh, 10 and 11 tells us that the angel of the Lord shows up in Gideon's circumstance. Now, the writer is a little ambiguous here. In one moment, he talks about the angel of the Lord. The next moment, he refers to the same one as the Lord. And they go back and forth uh, in that sense. Reminding us that initially Gideon really is not sure who he's talking to. Is this a traveling stranger who's perhaps religious that's, uh, are, that's sharing with him, engaging with him? Is this perhaps a real angel? Or is this a unique manifestation of God right in his presence? It's a great reminder that God uh, ultimately, sometimes that God comes to us through the lives of others. It's a great time for us to ask the question, who might God be using to speak to us today? Sometimes God comes to us through strangers. Uh, many of you have heard me tell the story more than once about my praying, seeking God, whether or not he was calling me to preach for an entire week. And then later on, I stop at a, a gas station and a guy, a perfect stranger, comes up to me and says, you know, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you as you were walking out of the, out of the store. He's calling you to preach his word. Perfect stranger. Sometimes the word of the Lord comes to us. God speaks to us, shows up in our lives, if you will, through familiar people, people who are not strangers. When I went on the, my first date with my wife of 36 years, 37 years ago, we were dating. And that first date, she said to me, I think you're going to be a preacher. Later, she said the Lord had whispered to her that he was calling me to preach. She said, I think you're going to be a preacher. And I said, oh, no, I'm not going to be a preacher. I protested. No. That was the last thing I wanted to do. She said, oh, I think you're going to be a preacher. I said, absolutely not. But if saying I'm going to be a preacher will get me a second date with you, I'm going to be a preacher. <laughs> so sometimes God speaks to us, shows up in our lives through familiar people. So the question I want you to wrestle with just a little bit today, I want you to think about it. Uh, through whom may be God speaking into your life? I hope that this message, I hope that I'm being used today as a, as a, as a, as a person through whom God is speaking into your life. And so, Gideon is not quite sure. And then comes verse 22. It becomes super clear. Wow, this is the angel of the Lord who is uniquely the manifestation of God. And the text says, when Gideon realized this, he, 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 he cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord. Oh, I know exactly who this is. And it was in that very moment, it became clear what Gideon was made for. Gideon had been made... And it was as though God had bidded God's time until this very moment to reveal to Gideon that he was made number one. And this is what I'm going to deal with this for this whole message. To do life with God. You were made. You were born. You were created. Not to do life by yourself, but to do life with God. It was in that moment and all the stuff we talked about last week, that revelation that Gideon was a part of something bigger and that there was, there was a cosmic God who loved him and who was inviting him into, into, into the work of God in the world. And he says, look, that's part of why you were born, becomes a realization. 
So last week I said, listen, you need to believe. And we talked about the things that you need to believe. That kind of crescendos at this point uh, uh, that you were made to do life with God. And today I want to say not only must you believe or should you believe, but we've got to believe and follow. And follow. So I say believe. You say follow. Believe. 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 Yes. Follow. Follow. That's how we actualize the power of discovering that we are here on the planet, first and foremost, to do life with God. Now, in order to follow God, it requires, one, recognizing God when he shows up in our lives, recognizing and learning his voice, sensing and becoming familiar with his his leading in our lives, becoming personal with God, right? Becoming personal. And secondly, it requires that we trust God. Now, that brings us to a fascinating passage right here. The moment uh, 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 Gideon says, aha, it's you, God, and you're inviting me to do life with you. Okay, yes, essentially. God says, well, let's see how much you trust me. And then comes this enigmatic passage, mysterious verse upon first reading. Look at, look at the first thing that God asked Gideon to do. Interesting. The text says, that same night when Gideon realized that this is the Lord speaking to him, he now recognizes God's voice. He recognizes God's presence in his circumstances. <laughs> the text says, God says to him, all right, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take the second bull from your father's herd. The one that's seven years old, tear down the father's altar that he's, he's built for Baal. And cut down the Asherah pole. These are two idol gods. Baal is the god of, of changing seasons. Asherah uh, is the god of futility and, and all of that. Cut all that down. So Gideon took ten of his servants, did as the Lord told him. There it is, follow follow, did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. The daytime. You see the trust? Now this is fascinating, isn't it? I want you to tear down the altar, the false god that your father is at the center of your father and your family's house. Even though it may cause a huge eruption in the city and your life may even be threatened, how much do you trust me, Gideon, as you think about doing life with me? I was thinking about this passage and I was trying to figure out how might I, I, I talk about the significance of tearing down dad's false idols, tearing down what's at the center of the family in order to build a new altar. I ran across a quote that Pastor uh, Chip Ingram quoted in a little devotion. He said that there was a moment in his life when he said to God, if you are real, reveal yourself. But in that little devotion, he didn't give the details. A number of years ago, Chip and I became connected I went through a traumatic experience with a previous church. He, he was there for me at the time. He was a senior pastor at Venture Church. Now he's, he's known nationally. He's a national and international preacher and teacher, et cetera, et cetera. 
And uh, we talked maybe three or four times in the last, what, 10 years? So it's not like I'm his close buddy. But I thought, I want the details to that story. So I picked up the phone and called him. I figured if he answered, it would be a miracle. He answered. Herman Hamilton, he said, what's going on, man? What can I do for you? I said, I want the details to that story that you told about saying, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. You see, because I think that's part of what Gideon was, was thinking, right, at some point in his life when he was thinking, is this all there is? I, I, I think perhaps there was a part of that saying, you know, I know about what, what, the, what my people talk about when they talk about you, God. But if you're real, will you reveal yourself to me? I, I, I think there are people watching me right now that says, you know, be, be, before I can get on the bandwagon that, that part of why I'm created is to do life with God, it, it is my basic question. God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. So Chip took the time to tell me a bit of his story. He told me about his father being an ex-Marine, being super tough on him, but teaching him uh, what I call a paradigm for his life. He said his father taught him to have goals, to be focused, to be a hard worker, and that that would always lead to success. So he says at 13 years old, he had clear goals. He wanted to date the prettiest girl. He wanted a basketball scholarship. And he wanted to graduate with honors, academic honors. And on graduation night, he was sitting with some friends after the graduation. And one of his friends, Jackie, a platonic friend, said to him, uh, how does it feel having accomplished your goals? He said, what do you mean? She knew what those goals were dating a pretty girl on the campus, graduated earlier that night with academic honors, and he had a basketball scholarship. Go play basketball in college. He said he hadn't thought about how he felt about it, and in so few moments, he took a moment and thought about it, and he was shocked by the realization. He felt empty. He was stunned by that feeling because he had done everything that he'd grown up learning to do, goals and focus and achievement. It really shook him up, he says. He went home that night. He was sitting on his bed. He was looking out at the window, out of his window, looking out at the stars, and he could extrapolate. He had already set in place his goals for, you know, the next 15 years of his life. He, he, loves bas he loved basketball, but he knew he wasn't strong enough or big enough to play in NBA basketball, so he was going to play basketball in college, used that scholarship to, 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 to get a great degree. He was going to end up a trial lawyer and going to make money and have a fabulous wife, live in a beautiful house. He's going to be a leader in his community. And he's just kind of extrapolated because he knew he would end up there. And he asked himself, well, now how will I feel? And he extrapolated from the moment where he was to then, and he could already feel just greater emptiness. He said it was in that moment, he said, Herman, that's the context of my saying, turning to God. And I, I really said two things to him. Number one, Lord, if you are real, 
reveal yourself to me in a way that I can understand. Somebody, you know, this is a prayer that somebody we need to ask. You're listening to me now. I'm telling you that part of why you were created is to do life with God. It's not just believe but to follow. You say, well, I, I just need to know that he is and that he knows me by my name and my DNA. Well, well, he, Chip said that was him, so he asked that first thing. And then he said the second thing he asked was, what do you want with my life? So reveal my, your, yourself to me, and if you are real, then I need you to share with me what do you want with me. This is exactly what happens to Gideon, right? God reveals himself to Gideon, and then he, he says to Gideon, here's what I want with your life. God reveals it. There's always, and here's what I want with your life. Here's part of why you were born. You were created. This is what you were built for, to do life with me. Now, Chip said something else interesting. He said he had concluded that if there is no God, then his life and life at the world, everything, was just a roll of the dice. His being on the planet was just a roll of the dice. (laughs) You know, and he concluded that if there's no God and if it's all just a roll of the dice, he says, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my days, you know, having as much pleasure and as much fun. And he he said there was some graphic ways in which he talked about that. But but, and he was going to die young, pleasure field, unless God showed him that he was real and what he wanted to do with Chip's life. That's how some of you are living your life now, right? You live as though life is just a roll of the dice. You realize there there is no overarching moral structure to the universe. There is no God who knows your name, who knows the DNA code of your biology. You live as though that there is no, no purpose etched into your existence. And I'm here to tell you that there is a God and he wants to reveal himself to you and he has something for your life. He says, hey, part of why you're on the planet is to do life with me, to believe and to follow. Amazing. It was in this moment that I began to understand the text that I, we just read as I listened to, to, to Chip's story. Let, let me just remind you what the text says. God says, the first thing he says to, to Gideon, the first, the first thing he asks of Gideon, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah poles beside him. Then, Build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord your God, on top of this hill. That's what he said. And I realized, I got it now. What God was saying to Gideon was this. Gideon, if you're ready to start doing life with me, you've got to tear down the old paradigm by which you and your father and your family has been living your life so that you can build a new paradigm. Come on, you get it? Tear down the old paradigm, the, uh, the, the Asherah poles, the Baal, the, uh, uh, the, the, these false gods that's been at the very center of your life that you've been looking to to bring, to bring, to, to carry you from season to season, to bring fertility and prosperity. That's the old paradigm by which you have lived your life. You, you've got to tear that down. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. And what, what, what Chip was discovering was that the paradigm that he had inherited from his dad, a paradigm that says, if I have goals 
and focus, and if I work hard, it will lead to not just success, but to meaning. And he had discovered that that paradigm, it led to success, but it was lacking on meaning. Here's the question. What is the central paradigm of your life? When I say paradigm, I want to make sure you understand what I mean. A paradigm is a system. It's a way of believing. It's a set of ideals and values and habits that actually define how you think about the real world. It's the thing that sits at the center of your life that says that, says that this, is, this is how I'm going to organize my life in order to find joy and happiness and meaning. What is your central paradigm? What do you organize your life around? You organize your life. For some, it is organize their life around performance. That you, the, the, the ideal is if I can achieve a level of excellence. It'll bring not only happiness and joy, it'll bring meaning and purpose to my life. For somebody else, it is the pursuit of pleasure. For somebody else, it is the acquisition of power. For somebody else, it is, it is getting as much money and as much wealth as I can. And for somebody else, it is, look, I'm just trying to be a good person. And, the ch- and we, are, we certainly ought to be good people for sure. The challenge is, if that becomes my chief paradigm, uh, the challenge is, is, is that when bad things happen to good people, it really starts, it messes with us because it's like, that's not supposed to happen because I'm a good person. I'm supposed to, life is supposed to work out. What's your chief paradigm? And is it possible that God is saying that in order to take the next step with him, that you need to tear that paradigm down? Wow. Wow. And build another one where God is at the very center. Just, you know, God is at the center of his creation. God is at the center of the universe. His purpose is at the center of the universe. And, and God is saying, I want, to be, I want to be at the center of your life. My purpose, my love, at the, the, the very center of your living. Well, Tripp says that after he prayed that, talk, prayed that prayer, as he said to God those things that he needed, reveal yourself, show me what, what you want to do with me. There was no boat of lightning, nothing spectacular happened. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks passed, he said. And then something subtly happened. They were miracles that he only recognized as miracles in retrospect. He says he was at school one day and he got word that his summer job had been delayed by a couple of weeks. He was going to be painting houses for the summer. It had been delayed by a couple of weeks. The same day, the, uh, the football coach says, I've got tickets to this fabulous athletic camp. It happened to be the same two weeks that had just opened up. He says, I'll pay your way if you want to go. And it was, Chip was like, yeah, what? He, God paid his way. He went. He was marveled to find some of the, you know, some of the, these great professional and college athletic heroes were there at this camp. But he was shocked to discover it was a Christian camp. Now, you got to get this about Chip. He was super suspicious of Christian anything. He grew up in a church where 
there was no connection made between what happened on Sunday and, and during the week. The service was boring. It, he, it was just a, he, it just was not a good experience. Whenever he would look at a televangelist on TV, they were trying to manipulate people for money. So he was like, I, I want to be as far away from Christianity as possible. I, I, I'm respectful of it, but that's not for me. And he suddenly realized he's at a Christian camp surrounded by Christians. All these athletes were Christians. He said he was shocked. He was like, oh, my God, they're going to try to indoctrinate me. For the first three days, they were supposed to read their Bible for uh, 10 minutes every day. For the first three days, he said he wouldn't open it. They had structured programming during the day. He got to hang out and play basketball the second half of the day. All that was fun. They had kind of a chapel at night. He says, during the first three days, he was shocked because he found all these people talking about God. But as they talked about God, they talked about Jesus. And they, and they were talking about Jesus in the same breath as their mom and their dad, their families. They were talking about Jesus inside of their challenges and their accomplishments. And it was like, they were, it was like Jesus was like, they, he was so personal. He was at the center of their life in a way that he had never ex- heard about or knew about. Chip says that on the fourth day, he decides to open his Bible during his private, supposed to be private reading time, which he had not done for three days because he didn't want to be indoctrinated. And he said, Herman, neither of us would tell people that this is how to study the Bible. Uh, uh, He said, but this is exactly what happened to him because of how God was working. He said he opened the Bible and his eyes fell on Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And he read these words, therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, meaning in view of God giving his son Jesus, who ultimately died on the cross of Calvary to pay the cost to atone for your sins and my sins and all of our shortcomings so that that stuff could be moved out of the way so that we could have a clear path to have a relationship to do life with him and and, and begin to learn how to do life with one another. We'll talk about that going forward. He says, in, 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 lieu, in, lieu of that, in, that, that, in lieu of that great mercy, here comes what Paul says, One is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And and Chip says it was in that moment his eyes came open. He realized, oh, my God, God has answered my, my prayers. Number one, the fact that he ended up in a Christian camp without trying to get there, the very place he would have run from had he known that's where he was going to end up at. That was God revealing himself to him in this person known as Jesus that everybody seemed to know but him. Revealed himself to him in a way that he could understand. And then as it relates to what? What does God want from him? God wanted him to offer to God his whole life. His whole life. His dreams, his career, his aspirations, everything. Offer all of that to God. And then comes the next verse. Listen to the paradigm shift here. He says, the next verse, Paul writes, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And Skip said in that very moment, it was like somebody pushed a button and a video went on and all the horrible different things that he was doing across the course of any week just showed up in his mind. 
Then you will learn to know God's will, the text says, for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, tear down the old paradigm and with God build a new paradigm. Wow. And Skip said, Chip said, that changed his life. My goodness. You know, here's one of the passages that I love to read. I, this is like at the center of my Christmas message. I just want to revisit again. When this, this is how I want you to know that, that you're made to do life with God, to, to make God's love and God's grace and God's purpose the center of your life. Ephesians 1, this is what Paul writes. He says, long before God laid down earth's foundation, he had us, he had you in mind. He has settled on us. He has settled on you as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by, by his love. Oh, my gosh. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through this one called Jesus. And it brought him great pleasure. Wow. Let me tell you one other thing, and I'm going to end the message. I hope you're getting the point that you were built to do life with God first and foremost, to make his love the center of your life. Let's go back to Gideon. Notice verse 26. This is an interesting thing. It says, then this is what God said to Gideon. Tear down the old altar. Tear down the old paradigm. Then build a proper kind of altar, a new paradigm, to the Lord, Yahweh, this, per, this one that I have, that, that's the word in all caps, personal relationship with this one. Yahweh, Yahweh your God, on top of this height, on top of this hill. Watch this. Watch this. Here's the next part. Using the wood of Asherah's pole that you cut down. Oh, I love this past. Get this. Lean in. What God was saying. I want you to cut down. The, the old false gods, but the material that was used to structure these false gods, don't throw that away. I want you to repurpose that material and use it in the building of this, this new altar. As a matter of fact, it's gonna, you're going to use it to make the fire, to fire up this new altar where, where the true God is at the center. Oh, my gosh. Did you see? Here's the point. Listen, there's nothing wrong if, if you are a person of wealth or a person of power. There's nothing wrong with your developing, getting your, 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 your Ph.D. There's nothing wrong with uh, your living a life uh, intended to live a life of excellence. There's nothing wrong with any of those things as long as they are not the center the central paradigm of why you live. But when those things become, come on now, the fire that, that really shines light and fires up the purpose of God, the love of God, when they're connected to elevating and promoting the love and the justice and the mercy and the grace of God in the world, when, when, when that is at the center of your gifts and your talents, now they're being rightly used. Don't throw them away. Don't walk away from them, but use them to elevate God in the world, the center of your And then here's the last part. So Gideon took 10 of his servants 
And he did as the Lord told him. It was, it was a frightening thing. He didn't know whether the people of the town was going to c- come against him. But he did it. He, he not only believed, he followed. But he's honest. I love this text. He's honest. But he was afraid, guys, of what his family was going to say, of what the town people were going to do. So he did it at night. You know, I was talking to Chip. He said one of the reasons he was thinking about whether or not to surrender his life to Jesus, he said it was like a ping pong going back and forth, back and forth. And he said part of it was that he was just afraid. He was afraid that if he surrendered his life fully to Jesus, watch this now, that he totally gave him everything, his career, gave him charge over money, gave him charge over his talents. He says, I'm going to use everything to promote you. He said he was afraid because he said, I want to get married, but God may tell me not to live a life that's single. He said, look, he may send me as a missionary to some part of the world. He may send me in some sacrifice, some, some season of suffering that I don't want to really deal with. And, and he said, he said that word sacrifice, just, he, 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 he wanted to, but he didn't. He wanted to, but he didn't. And oh my God, that is, isn't, that, isn't that true for all of us? That if I fully surrender to God, it's a frightening thing, isn't it? Because every now and then there are folk like Dr. King and Teresa, uh, uh, Mother Teresa, who are called to these new unique journeys. And perhaps that might be us. It might be you. It could be me. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to follow one who's called Jesus who ends up on a crucified cross without us having to realize that, that if I follow him, I'm going to have to sacrifice perhaps the totality of who I am. And yet that is the ultimate way, the ultimate way. To our ultimate purpose is to follow him. And most times, his call is not at that. Most times, we're not called to be Dr. King or Mother Teresa. We're just called to be faithful moms and dads and doctors and police officers (laughs) and grandmoms. But when we do it in service of his purpose, hmm, there's the meaning. Doesn't mean that you won't have pain in your life, but your life won't be empty. Doesn't mean you won't have struggle and challenge in your life, but your life won't be empty. You'll be doing life with God in service of him. You know, Skip said, before he left the camp, somebody read Revelations 3.20, and it was in that moment that he said yes to Jesus. Here's what it says. Jesus says, and look, I stand at the door knocking at your life. If you hear my voice, I hope somebody hears the voice of the Lord speaking to you through me today. If you hear my voice, open the door of your heart. And I'll come in. And I will share a meal together as friends. Friend, that's the paradigm. It's the new paradigm. Friends with Jesus. That paradigm that says, I'm going to do life with Jesus. But inside that context, he's he's friend. He's Savior. He's Lord. I want to offer you Skip's book that he wrote about this and how to really actualize this, right? He gives you point by point how to, how to move from thinking to believing to following. It's called the spiritual, true spirituality. And uh, I want to encourage you to be back here with us next week. But here's a prayer that I want to suggest that you pray. It's a, I'm going to call it a, it's, it's a Jesus prayer. It's the prayer that we surrender our all to him and trusting him. Now, some of you watching me, you're not ready to pray this prayer. Don't worry. It's cool. Just walk with us through this series. But somebody watching me, you are ready to pray this prayer with me. And let's pray together. 
Jesus, I trust you with my whole life. From this point forward, I'll follow you. Now, next week, I'm going to deal with another question. What does it mean to follow Jesus in the face of a world that is full of so much evil? How does that comport with this faith, Pastor, that you're talking about? Make sure you be back here next weekend. God bless you.